What we have right now is a joke and it's a laughing stock. No comment. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. You appreciate my restraint. I got the feeling that something right. We're I, just getting started. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in Here I am from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Up in uh, Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 in Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR in New Orleans on WHIV 102.3 in Washington, D.C. on 105.5 FM and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF we also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik, amongst other fine affiliates, both terrestrial and streaming. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around, swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, and I hope you agree, but I won't hold it against you if you don't. Another big show for you today. Uh, it has already been a very busy week so far this week. They all are lately, uh, unfortunately, sadly. But between the uh, the criminal federal indictments brought against three former Trump campaign staffers on Monday and the terror attack on Tuesday afternoon in New York City, a number of other important items that might have otherwise received a lot of notice have fallen through the cracks already this week. One of them is the fact that Donald Trump's attempt to ban transgender people from the military has... Not unlike his attempts to ban people from certain Muslim majority countries from entering the U.S. Uh, from entering the U.S., uh, that uh, policy, that ban, that attempted ban on transgender people in the military, a a directive issued first by tweet in July and then by an actual you know formal directive to the U.S. military in August. That has been now blocked by a federal court this week. Why? Well, for one reason, as the judge wrote in her ruling, the administration's directives, quote, do not appear to be supported by any facts. Wow. Who knew? Facts uh, apparently still matter in this country? Yes, I think they I, do, I, but I, I, <laughs> not lately. Uh, even under this president? Well, one federal judge at least suggests as much. We will discuss her ruling and if that ruling will hold up in uh, in higher courts. For example, like the Republicans' stolen U.S. Supreme Court. Do facts still matter there? 
don't know. We will speak to a constitutional law and uh, law expert and Supreme Court expert who hopefully knows better than I do about the case shortly. But picking up where we left off at the end of yesterday's program, when the uh, news was first breaking about that attack in lower Manhattan, where a rented pickup truck had run down people on a bike path near the World Trade Center. Uh, President Donald Trump on Wednesday condemned the attack in New York City. Nice to see him come in right away and and, and condemn an attack like that. Um, well, anyway, that attack left eight people dead and 11 injured. Uh, he described it as a horrible attack committed by an animal. Boy, I had very strong language for some reason here. Uh, that was at the opening of a meeting with his cabinet on Wednesday. Trump had called for quote, punishment that's far quicker and far greater than the punishment these animals are getting right now. Here is uh, at least some of his commentary before today's cabinet meeting. That was a horrible event, and we have to stop it, and we have to stop it cold. We also have to come up with punishment that's far quicker and far greater than the punishment these animals are getting right now. They'll go through court for years. At the end, there'll be who knows what happens. We need quick justice and we need strong justice, much quicker and much stronger than we have right now. Because what we have right now is a joke and it's a laughing stock. And no wonder so much of this stuff takes place. And I think I can speak for plenty of other countries, too, that are in the same situation. So our, uh, our, our system of justice is a joke, a laughingstock. We need, quote, quicker and stronger justice. What does that mean exactly? Well, nobody knows. Uh, he says they'll go through court for years. At the end, who knows what happens? Well, we know what happens as has happened uh, in hundreds and hundreds of cases, whenever terrorism cases are, are filed and brought, the defendants lose. And they spend the rest of their lives in federal prison. This isn't really a mystery. That's what happens. I don't know if the uh, president is familiar with that. He does not seem to know a lot about much of anything. But, yeah, that's what happens. The system actually works very, very well. It was not clear uh, exactly what the uh, president was advocating in place of the rights that are codified by the Sixth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, uh, which already requires, quote, a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state. In response to a, uh, a reporter's question, however, Trump said that he would, quote, certainly consider sending the attacker to the Guantanamo Bay Detention Center. He said, I would certainly consider that sending him to Gitmo. I would certainly consider that. Yes. <clears throat> Why? Why would he send them to Gitmo? Well, I have no idea. I guess by a stronger justice, he could mean torture. He could mean holding them, uh, holding this uh, uh, particular uh, suspect for years and years without a trial, without a charge, despite the fact that he was a U.S. resident with a green card. Um. 
Trump also said that he will ask Congress to immediately initiate work to end the diversity immigrant visa program, which he claimed the attacker had used to enter the U.S. back in 2010, though officials have not yet said whether that is true or not. So unclear whether it is true. Maybe they reported it was true on Fox News, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. We will find out. He said, I'm uh, uh, I am today starting the process of terminating the diversity lottery program. He said, that sounds nice. It's not good. It's not good. It hasn't been good. We've been against it. So we want to immediately work with Congress on the diversity lottery program on terminating it. That program is uh, specified by is by legislation in Congress. It's not something that he can just go on, apparently go on to Twitter and cancel on his own. He says he wants a merit based program in its place and says we have to get much less politically correct. We are so politically correct that we are afraid to do anything. Officials on Wednesday identified the driver of the uh, truck in this attack as a 29-year-old who immigrated to the U.S. from Uzbekistan legally back in 2010. According to authorities, he shouted, God is great in Arabic after he crashed his vehicle into a school bus and then disembarked from the vehicle and was shot by a law enforcement official. John Miller, the New York Police Department's deputy uh, police commissioner for intelligence, on Wednesday said that uh, the guy did this, quote, in the name of ISIS. As of Wednesday, the driver... Uh, is said to be in critical condition but expected to survive after a police officer shot him in the abdomen after he uh, disembarked from the truck. Trump's rhetoric about the New York attack was unusually strong, TPM notes. While the president is quick to condemn acts that he considers radical Islamic terrorism, he is much less quick to respond to incidents where Muslims have been targeted. And I think Esme Crib is being kind when he says when she says much less, uh, much less quick. Sometimes he does not respond at all, does not say a word at all, does not discuss these attacks on Muslims at all in any way. And there have been a great deal of them uh, over the past uh, nine or ten months since he's been in office. He has referred to uh, crimes committed by white supremacists and hate groups when he does refer to them at all in far kinder terms. On Tuesday night, just after the attack, Trump took to Twitter, of course, and he said, uh, I have just ordered Homeland Security to step up our already extreme vetting program. Being politically correct is fine, but not for this. Susan Hennessy, uh, an attorney and the managing editor at Lawfare, responded to that tweet by saying nearly 600 Americans were shot earlier this month. And Trump advocated that we do absolutely nothing in response. And Susan is right. Six, nearly 600 Americans were shot. That was just one month ago, less than a month prior to the attack in New York City. And the president has still not come up with a single policy idea. And yet within hours, he was able to go on to Twitter and call for uh, a new policy to step up his already extreme vetting program. So I guess it would be the extremely extreme vetting program that he's now calling for. Golden Gate Blonde also noticed on Twitter this tweet and responded to say, Brown guy kills eight with a truck, walls, bands, barricades. White guy kills 58 with guns. Well, what can you do? 
Jesse LaGreca responded to say one a-hole Muslim means we must condemn a whole religion, but if a Nazi runs someone over, there are still, quote, very fine people on their side. David Atkins of Washington Monthly says, Reminder, a rich white man shot 546 people, killing 58, and America has done precisely nothing about it. Brian Klass, uh, author and a campaign consultant, said yesterday's awful tragedy in perspective killed in New York City attack eight daily average deaths in America by gun 31 every day on average. And he adds opioid overdoses, 137 per day. Sean King of The Intercept uh, noted again, a white man shot 500 people in Las Vegas and Trump had nothing to say. Zilch, no solutions, no policies, no ideas, nothing. Hillary Clinton, remember her? Oh, yeah. Her? Yeah. She's not the president, uh, but she sounded a hell of a lot more presidential in her response. She said New York's resilience is stronger than a cowardly act of terror, thinking of the victims, their families and the responders who saved lives. Well, after the president called for ramping up his extreme vetting program, whatever that means. uh, By the way, the guy was uh, an immigrant from Uzbekistan, which is not one of the countries that Trump's Muslim ban had tried to his many Muslim bans that he's tried for uh, had tried to ban for some reason that uh, after he called the uh, attack horrible today committed by an animal he never used that kind of language did he to describe the white supremacist guy who in his vehicle ran down counter protesters and killed one of them in Charlottesville Virginia just weeks ago. Uh, he never used that kind of language, but after he uh, he announced today that he was uh, starting the process of terminating the diversity lottery program, Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut uh, ripped the president on Twitter for his response to the New York City attack, comparing Trump's reaction to it um, to that uh, to Trump's reaction and re- Republicans response uh, to uh, calls for gun safety legislation following the Las Vegas massacre. Senator Chris Murphy said, oh, now I get it. If the killer is an immigrant, you can talk about policy change. But if he's natural born, you're politicizing the tragedy. Murphy tweeted. Yeah. Remember that? Oh, yeah. after the uh, after all of the after the uh, the the uh, the attack in Charlottesville, after the massacre in Las Vegas, in both of those cases too early. We can't talk about it. We don't want to politicize a tragedy. Now, no problem. Uh, And, of course, Chris Murphy has got a point. The massacre in Las Vegas, which was just last month, just just one month ago. Yeah, I know. It's it's hard to even wrap my brain Uh, around that. Uh, As I uh, had said at the time, predicted at the time, it has brought absolutely zero legislative changes in that month. Not one vote in Congress or the uh, in the House or the Senate. That despite, remember the Republicans who pretended that they were in favor of banning those bump stocks uh, that the shooter in Vegas had used to mow down nearly 600 people in a matter of minutes. Remember that, that that plan to ban those devices that basically turn semi-automatic weapons into automatic weapons that turn them into machine guns? Well, that proposal that was a bipartisan proposal, remember there was like uh, 10 Republicans and 10 uh, Democrats, that appears to be dead. And worse, uh, according to The Hill, 
today. A top manufacturer of bump stocks has resumed sales of the uh, gun accessory just one month after that mass shooting in Las Vegas, the deadliest in modern U.S. history. A company by the name of Slidefire Solutions announced on Tuesday in an email promotion that it would resume limited sales of the accessory. The shooter behind the, uh, behind the massacre had equipped his semi-automatic weapons, lots of them, with these devices to mimic the rate of fire of an automatic weapon. His attack on an outdoor country music festival had left 58 people dead, you'll recall. But now we're selling those devices that helped him to do it. Following the shooting on October 1, the retailer had stopped the accessories once their stock had run out. But uh, while the item is usually widely available and very inexpensive, prices had skyrocketed for these items as gun owners tried to buy up remaining inventories amid calls by lawmakers for a ban on bump stock. Uh, that, according to a website called The Trace this week, a new bipartisan bill has now been introduced that would seek to limit the sale and use of these bump stocks. It will not ban them, but it will limit them a little bit through uh, more extensive background checks, registration and fingerprints, scanning locks, etc. Right now, you can just buy them just as is. Uh, no background check required. But the bill, this new bill, uh, though it's bipartisan, uh, it would not outright ban the accessory. The uh, bill is being sponsored by uh, Republican Congress members Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania and David Trott of Michigan and Democrats Di uh, uh, Dina Titus and Dan Kildee of Nevada and Michigan, respectively. Um, that is uh, following the uh, bipartisan, the previous bipartisan bill in the House and uh, that it was has stalled now since the shooting. They made a big splash about introducing it. Now, where is it? Gone. Well, stalled is uh, the way The Hill describes it. It's a nice way to put it, to say it's it's dead. It's gone. It's unlikely to see the light of the day in this U.S. Congress as long as it's controlled by Republicans who are supported, as I said many times, by the terrorist-enabling National Rifle Association, the NRA which is nothing more than an arms industry lobbyist, period, shilling for folks like that company Slide Fire Solutions, who will now be selling those bump stocks again uh, to allow people to create their own fully automatic machine gun, since federal law makes it difficult to buy one. So uh, to buy a machine gun, no, you can make your own. But hey, that brown guy in Manhattan, he's an animal. We must immediately change our immigration and, and our judicial system and I guess our constitution in, in response. That even before the bodies are cold and even as the FBI has announced late today that they are seeking information about a second man in that New York City terror attack. The first man has now been charged on federal terrorism charges. So uh, Donald Trump is somewhat selective on the policies that he decides to call for, that he decides to pretend to be outraged about, or uh, new policies to, you know, that he simply goes on Twitter and declares. And that strategy of simply declaring policies on Twitter, or to the surprise of his own cabinet members, or to his own law enforcement agencies and immigration agencies, and yes, even to the surprise of his own military leaders at the Pentagon sometimes, those policies have not gone over particularly well. 
in the nearly 10 months that he's been in office. And for that, we have a lot of non-governmental agencies to thank, as well as a court system to thank. One of those policies, his Twitter-announced ban on transgender people serving in the military, which he announced before telling his own military about, that ban faced a serious blow this week in a federal courtroom. But will that uh, will that decision hold up as the uh, as the case moves up the uh, <laughs> up the federal court system? We'll find out. That story is next as we're joined by constitutional law expert Ian Milheiser. This is the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. This week... According to AP, a federal judge barred President Donald Trump's administration from proceeding with plans to exclude transgender people from military service. U.S. District Judge Colleen Kolar Cotelli ruled that the transgender service members who had sued over Trump's policy were likely to win their lawsuit. Her ruling for now directs a return to the situation that existed before. Trump announced his new policy this summer, originally on Twitter. The judge said the administration had provided no solid evidence for why a ban should be implemented. Uh, uh, Caller Catelli wrote that the directives from the administration, quote, do not appear to be supported by any facts. The Trump uh, administration had ordered a reinstatement of the longstanding policy that barred transgender individuals from joining the military. Service members who were revealed to be transgender were subject to, dis- to discharge. But under President Barack Obama, that policy was changed last year to allow transgender people to serve openly. The Trump administration's new policy was first announced by Trump himself via Twitter, In July of this year, largely out of the blue, Trump tweeted that the government, quote, will not accept or allow transgender individuals to serve in any capacity in the U.S. military. After apparently discovering that military policy could not actually be changed with a tweet, even by the commander in chief, Trump followed that up with an August memo directing the Pentagon to extend indefinitely a ban on transgender individuals joining the military 
and gave Defense Secretary Jim Mattis six months to come up with a policy on how to address those who are currently serving, those who are currently out as transgender, as per the previous president's directive. In what is now becoming a routine response to virtually all of the administration's directives, a lawsuit, several of them, in fact, were filed in a uh, in a number of federal courts uh, thereafter, after the uh, August directive from the president. This ruling is the first uh, in uh, in federal court in response to one of those suits. It was brought by the National Center for Lesbian Rights and GLBTQ Legal Advocates and Defenders, or GLAD, in August. It was filed on behalf of eight transgender individuals, including service members in the Air Force, Coast Guard, and Army, as well as students at the U.S. Naval Academy and in ROTC programs at the University of New Haven. One of the attorneys handling the suit, Shannon Minter of the National Center for Lesbian Rights, said the ruling was an enormous relief to his clients. Their lives have been devastated since Trump first tweeted that he was reinstating the ban, Minter told AP. They are now able to serve on equal terms with everyone else. The Pentagon has not yet released any data on the number of transgender people currently serving, but a RAND Corporation study has estimated there is anywhere between 1,300 and 6,600 transgender troops out of 1.3 million troops on active duty. The Trump administration may appeal Kohler Cotelli's decision, but for now, the proposed ban remains unenforceable under her preliminary injunction. After the ruling was issued this week by the court, denying the administration's motion to dismiss the entire case, constitutional law expert at Think Progress Ian Milheiser's coverage was headlined, A Court Blocked Trump's Transgender Military Ban Because Trump is Lazy and incompetent. Subtitle, Trump keeps losing in court because he's a bumbling goon. Joining us now to discuss this case and uh, those charges is our friend Ian Milheiser, constitutional law expert and editor of Think Progress Justice. His writings have appeared in The New York Times, The L.A. Times, U.S. News and World Report, The Guardian, a whole bunch of law journals and everywhere else. Ian is also the author of the book Injustices, the Supreme Court's History of Comforting the Comfortable and Afflicting the Afflicted. Oh, Ian Milheiser, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. It's good to be here. Thanks so much. Thank you, as ever. I, I know that uh, many authors don't actually write their own headlines, so I'm not sure if you wrote that one or not or if you stand by it, but the rest of your article does seem to to bear out those uh, the charges in that headline. So before we get into the specifics of this case, why does uh, the court's ruling here reveal Trump to be a lazy, incompetent, bumbling goon, Ian Milheiser? Right. So there's two, I guess, like countervailing forces in this case. Mm -hmm. um, one is, like, if Trump had banned trans people from working in, say, the Department of Commerce, mm -hmm. this would be a no-brainer. Like, you, you know, a courts would just, you know, even a relatively conservative court following precedent would just say, look, this is motivated by animus. There's no, like, plausible reason why you would ban trans people from serving the Department of Commerce, and that, that would be the end of it. it, it is, um, and before you get to the second part, the conflicting uh, idea there is, is yeah. a president or a presidential administration not allowed to simply do something because of 
uh, they wouldn't call it animus. They would just say, hey, we, we don't like transgender people. Um, we, we don't trust them. We don't like them, whatever it is. Uh, and so we're going to ban them. That would not be uh, lawful and legal for an administration to do, even in a federal uh, department. Right. That, that was the Romer case. So the, so the Romer case was a case involving a Colorado amendment which targeted gay people mm-hmm. and said, you know, basically, like, if, you have gay, if you're gay, you have less rights than anyone else. And if you, uh, you know, want a law protecting you, then you can't go to the legislature mm-hmm. to get that law because we're going to forbid it. Mm-hmm. And the Supreme Court said, no, that was just motivated by animus against this group of people, and you can't do that. So, so the same the same rule would apply to trans people. I got you. So um, if they yeah. tried to do that yeah. in any other department, the court would say no, absolutely not. But there is a sort of a conflicting, uh, at least idea right. principle in in the courts. What what is that? Right. So like the the best case that Trump had on his side is a case called Rosker, um, and Rosker says that there should be a really high level of deference to military decisions made by Congress and the executive, and it's a very high level. I mean, mm-hmm. Rosker dealt with um, discrimination between men and women. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a man, you have to register for selective service. If you're a woman, you are not. Rosker said that it was okay, and the logic of the Rosker decision was that even though in nearly any case discrimination on the basis of gender is not allowed, when the military comes into play, the courts will defer. And that's and, theoretically... And to, why is that? Why Why does the military get this uh, special deference uh, on these sorts of decisions? I mean, so, there are lots of reasons. I mean, some of it is that the courts feel like they aren't particularly competent to answer these questions. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, and often this goes unsaid, but there's concern that the stakes are unusually high here. There's concerns that it's national security and... If the courts screw up mm-hmm. and there's, you know, a battle that is lost mm-hmm. or there are military casualties or, or something like that, um, then they don't want to be responsible for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so courts, you know, this is something that's true across many areas of the law. Courts tend to be very reluctant to overturn national security decisions. And they, do, they defer um, in, in other cases as well, right, to the expertise of various uh, federal agencies. Uh, supposedly, the EPA, this may not be operative anymore, but supposedly the EPA knows more about uh, pollution and science and things correct. like that than a court would. So in theory here, the military or even the, the, the president, the commander-in-chief and and Congress who study these things, in theory, they they know more about this stuff than the courts do, right? Right. So that this comes up in the regulatory context a lot. You mm-hmm. know, and this is, you know, so when an agency pushes out a regulation, normally the courts will defer to that regulation mm-hmm. unless you just look at the law and there's just no way to justify it under the law. Mm-hmm. Um, but in national security matters, and especially in military matters, there's an extra special layer of deference. Mm that okay. courts apply. I mean, even in constitutional claims, you know, a court won't defer to the Department of Commerce or the Department of Energy or whatever um, if the Department of Energy engages in gender discrimination, mm-hmm. you know, or, or, or if they enact a law solely due to animus against a particular group. Gotcha. Um, that's just not something that they'll, that they'll do. Gotcha. Um, but they could potentially defer to the military. Um, and this roster decision is suggest that the level of deference affords to the military is quite high. Mm-hmm. Again, 
allowed straight-up gender discrimination. If you're a man, there's one rule. If you're a woman, there's a different rule. That typically is not allowed. Mm -hmm. But that Um, was allowed. Yeah, go ahead. So there was the tension. Like, on the one hand, you have this thing that Trump did that's really, really unconstitutional, and it's really, really clear that it's unconstitutional. Um, And on the other hand, you had this Roscoe opinion that sort of says, even if it is unconstitutional, we're going to be really reluctant to second-guess military decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and what the judge said in this case, which is, you know, really quite interesting, is the judge said, look, like, when Obama lifted the trans ban, you know, there were studies, there mm-hmm. were surveys, there was a lot of consultation with experts, there was a rigorous investigative process, um, and the determination was that it is in the best interest of, the, of America's national security to allow trans people to serve openly. Um, Trump didn't do any of that. He just got up. He just got out his phone and tweeted. Um, you know, there, there, there were no studies. In fact, like the, all the current um, government inquiries are into this question are the Obama era one. So you know, Trump did this mm-hmm. in contravention of what his own military was telling him was the right thing to do. And she she looked at the Rosker opinion, and she said, look, the reason we deferred, the reason why courts deferred in the Rosker case is, you know, the Rosker opinion talks about how Congress engaged in a lot of study before deciding what to do. Um, in the case of selected service, they engage in a serious process of investigation. And when there's that serious process, court should defer. But when it's just an orange goon <laughs> tweeting something out that, that, that catches his fancy, and there's no indication that like, there was any expertise to defer to, then court should not defer. Again, you know, the idea behind cases like Rosker is that the executive just is more sophisticated and knows more about what's going on in the military than courts do. The court should be very reluctant to step in mm-hmm. but when the executive doesn't tap into that expertise. There's no, there's not a reason to defer this. And just to back you up on this, uh, Ian, we had uh, Captain Sue Fulton, who actually worked, I guess, with the Pentagon when they were studying. Uh, Obama's directive to allow open trans uh, transgender people to serve. Uh, she was mm-hmm. on the show uh, back in August, I believe it was. She said the Pentagon, as you did, had studied this issue for more than a year, uh, had focus groups, uh, and that, in fact, when at least when Donald Trump made his announcement on Twitter in July, none of that had been done. And then I guess even when they... Uh, issued the official directive in August. None of those studies had been done. Here's a here's a quick clip from what she told me back in uh, Sue Fulton back in August. They did not make this decision to open transgender service willy nilly. They made it based on their judgment about military readiness, and and that's as it should be. And as part of that, the Pentagon has determined that allowing transgender people to serve to keeping that talent within the, within the armed forces and continuing to recruit talent from as broad a pool as possible is right, is the best thing to create this, this strongest possible force. Um, and, and that decision was made carefully. Now that decision is being overthrown based on no evidence. And in fact, based on saying that 
the evidence that the Pentagon itself uncovered and determined to be accurate was somehow should somehow be thrown out the window. That was Captain Sue Fulton on the broadcast back in August. Uh, Ian Milheiser, so... I, I believe when she joined us, it was, I don't know if it was before or after the uh, the suit was filed, but did the government literally offer no no facts, no studies, no nothing to back them up in this in this federal court case? I mean, I think that they, they're trying to retroactively, I, I mean, what, you know, what has happened is Trump sent out his tweet, and then, um, you know, the Department of Defense has, you know, then and after they already knew what the answer was, they had to reach you know, started the process of trying to do studies and stuff like that. But it's not a particularly reliable study when the president has already tweeted out what your answer has to be. Right. I, um, I was struck by the fact that the judge uh, wrote that the uh, directives from the administration, quote, do not appear to be supported by any facts. Uh, Ian, you you read more rulings and opinions than I do. Is is that sort of statement unusual to find in a federal lawsuit, particularly one of this magnitude, uh, defended by a presidential administration? Uh, you know, defending its own directives. Right. Well, so I mean, so here's the thing: like, there's a reason these processes are in place. Like, I mean, you know, I don't think that George Bush was a good president, but George Bush understood that, like, if you don't you know, go through this process of investigation, you're going to come up with a policy that it just, it's just that it does, it's not going to do what I want it to do. It's not going to do what he wants it to do, because mm-hmm. you haven't worked out all the pugs and the kinks yet. Um, you know, presidents, you know, up until this point, it's largely been by, uh, there's been a bipartisan understanding that, like, you have all of these people working for you in the federal government who are serious people who know something about policy, who know how to design policy correctly, who know how to answer difficult policy questions, and you should use them. And it is, it is not the job of the president, or at least it should not be the job of the president, to wake up one morning, um, come up with an idea for something that he wants to have as, as a policy, and, and declare what the new policy of the United States is in three tweets. <laughs> you know, the, the the sort of bumbling, arrogant, you, you know, very mercurial, like, I woke up on this side of the bed, of the, of the bed this morning, so now there's going to be a new policy mm-hmm. approach to Donald Trump. It's something we haven't seen, really seen before. And so, yeah, typically courts have, are confronted with more robust factual records than he's able to present, because in the past, presidents have done their job, and they've let the people under them do their job as well. So are, uh, is the lesson here that many of us are learning, uh, apparently, along with Donald Trump himself, that the president, just because he is the president, does not have unfettered power on issues like this, even in cases where, you know, as president, as the commander in chief, uh, when it comes to the military, he's entitled to issue directives and rules. But all of that still needs to be supported by actual facts that can pass muster in a court of law. Yeah, I mean, I think that the lesson that I can now, I mean, this case involved a constitutional violation. Mm-hmm. And so there was a question of whether there would be, whether there would be an extraordinary level of deference um, because it involved the military or whether this would be treated as an ordinary case. Mm-hmm. And all that the judge said here is because of this silly process that Trump had, this non-process that he had, 
it would be treated as an or as a, as an ordinary case. Um, I do think an interesting question, though. I mean, one background principle that almost never gets invoked by the courts is that the government has to behave in a rational way. When the government mm. takes an action that's arbitrary and capricious, that's not supposed to be allowed, and courts typically don't find hardly anything to be arbitrary and capricious. But it could get interesting if we have a president who is determined to... Um, you know, not figure out what what the world looks like or what's going on in it before he makes sweeping decisions. Courts could potentially um, start striking down things that if any other president had done them and had conducted the ordinary process to make sure that it was done in a rational way, Uh. um, they would otherwise be upheld. Interesting. And uh, to be clear here, this is uh, this is uh, his first loss in court on the transgender ban. There are a number of other cases out there, as I understand, challenging it as as well. But this is only this is only an injunction for now. Correct. Presumably there will still be either an actual trial or an appeal of this uh, of this decision uh, by the judge to a higher court. Yeah, that's correct. Yes, this is a this is a temporary order. I believe it's a preliminary injunction, and uh, that will be appealed probably to the D.C. Circuit, which is fairly liberal, and then to the Supreme Court, which is not at all liberal. And, um, and you, I mean, as much as we're celebrating what the court has said, what the court said yesterday, mm-hmm. I think it's more likely than not that the Supreme Court is going to uphold this policy because the Supreme Court's terrible. Up, um, uphold uh, Trump's new policy. Yes, we'll, 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 that the Supreme Court will uphold the trans ban because the Supreme Court is really, really conservative. Aren't they um, bound by the same uh, fa- findings of facts or lack thereof that the uh, that the lower court is uh, that uh, Judge uh, Collar Catelli uh, was bound by? They're, they're bound by the same factual findings, mm-hmm. but I think that the question presented in this case, like. What happens to Roscar? What happens to the level of deference that the military normally receives when you have a commander-in-chief who's just a bull in a china shop and who isn't engaging in any kind of serious policy-making process? Such as, so all the reasons why deference normally applies. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, can you defer to expertise when there isn't any expertise being brought to bear? Um, you know, I, I think the judge's decision yesterday was well thought out, but this is a novel legal question that has not come up before. And the thing about novel legal questions that have not come up before is that if you're liberal, you can make them come down in a liberal way. And if you're conservative, you can make them come down in a conservative way. And we have a really conservative Supreme Court. You cite uh, other similar court losses, Ian Milheiser, uh, by the Trump administration, for example, on his attempted Muslim bans, etc. Were they largely on the same basis? In other words, an administration that did not do its homework, uh, get its ducks in a row, did not compile studies and, and uh, reports and so forth to support the need for those uh, for those changes in administrative rulemaking? Well, so the, the one other big case where Trump has run into trouble largely because of his own incompetence is, is, is the Muslim ban case. Mm-hmm. What, what's happened in the Muslim ban cases is Trump pushed out a policy. It's not a particularly good policy, um, but like if another president had pushed out the exact same policy under ordinary circumstances, I think that the policy probably would have been upheld. Mm-hmm. The reason it's been blocked is because Trump 
ran around the country for more than a year saying, I'm going to put in place a Muslim ban, and here's how I'm going to do it. And he described the policy that he, uh, that, that he actually implemented. And then when his lawyers tried to take steps back from that and, and make it look like there was something more sane going on, he would often contradict them frequently on Twitter. Um, you know, he would say, no, 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 like, this is my Muslim, you know, this is my ban, and I, we should call it my ban, and it needs to be stronger. And I think that, the, you know, just as the trans ban, I think, presents a unique legal question, the question of what do you do with a policy when the President of the United States spent more than a year bragging about how he intended to violate the Constitution, and laid out a roadmap for how he was going to make his policy that would violate the Constitution look like it wasn't violating the Constitution. You you know, I mean, I don't know of another president who has done that before. Uh, Well, we are obviously in a new era. Ian, before I let you go here uh, on uh, on this case, the Republican nominee for the U.S. Senate in Alabama, Roy Moore, a former, oh, yeah. Yeah, speaking of unconstitutional, a former chief justice of the Alabama Supreme Court until he was removed from the job twice for failing to follow federal court orders. Uh, he's running against uh, Democratic former U.S. Attorney Doug Jones uh, in the, the special election, uh, Senate election in December. Uh, he says that Judge Collar Catelli's uh, decision uh, suggests that she should be impeached for her ruling on this case. Your response, Ian Milheiser, to uh, Roy Moore's charge there. Yeah, well, you know, as we say in the South, bless his heart. Um, <laughs> you, you, you know, Roy Moore, I don't think, really is, is someone who has standing to talk about who should or should not serve on a court. Um, but I will say that, like, it is a long-standing historic practice, literally stretching back to the beginning of the Republic. Um, I believe to the Adams administration when there was a question of whether or not a judge should, or I believe the Jefferson administration actually, where there's a question of whether or not a judge should be removed for a ruling that really was quite bad. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a long-standing rule that impeachment is not used because you disagree with the judge's ruling. It's used for criminal activity. Well, if nothing else, Roy Moore, uh, who also, by the way, uh, wrongly believes it's illegal to kneel during the national anthem, who uh, believes that homosexuality should be made illegal, that Muslims should not be able to run for Congress. If anything, he's an expert on it is uh, judges being removed from courts since he was removed himself twice. But I do yeah, think no, he does have an unusual amount of experience with it. He does. So there's that. We'll see what other experience he has if Alabama doesn't uh if Alabama voters don't come out like they should and uh uh vote this December and allows this guy to become a US senator. Anyway, Ian, always great uh, catching up with you. Uh so much to do uh, to to talk to you about. Uh I'm gonna recommend folks check out your work as ever at thinkprogress.org on the Twitters at I Milheiser and uh, by Ian's book. Uh, it's now just in time for Christmas. Injustices, the Supreme Court's history of comforting the comfortable and afflicting the afflicted. Always great talking to you, Ian. Thank you, my friend. All right. Thank you. OK, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with. Uh, hey, did you know the uh, the health care exchanges, the federal health care, Obamacare? Remember that? Affordable oh, care yeah. Act? Those opened 
today. Uh, we'll have some stories on that in a moment. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Day after day, alone on a hill, the man with the foolish grin is keeping perfectly still. I wish he was. Nobody wants to know. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Never mind that fool on the hill. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call Donald Trump a fool, would I? Maybe. Yeah. Well. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call him lazy, incompetent, bumbling goon as Ian Melheiser did, would I? Well, maybe. I don't know. But he does not seem to know much, and that's a problem. Uh, when he is, you know, setting policy, it's a problem. Uh, there's been a couple of stories I've been trying to get to uh, recently, and this was from just a little over a week ago, late on a Friday night. D- Donald Trump, uh, this was after the close of a market uh, of the uh, the stock market, late on a Friday. It was a, a day that it, it did well. It hit another record. Um, he tweeted, stock market hits another all-time high on Friday. $5.3 trillion up since election. Fake news doesn't spend much time on this. I think that was the same night that Donald Trump went on uh, on Fox News with Hannity, the only place, by the way, since he's been uh, inaugurated, that he's actually done interviews, done any sit-down interviews. They've all been on Fox Fox uh, Fox News or Fox Business. He's done about 20 of them, but not at real uh, news outlets, only at the fake news outlet known as Fox, the one that he thinks, that Donald Trump thinks is real. In any event, um, this uh, he did this crazy interview with Sean Hannity. Remember this? And there was one part of it I want to pull out here um, because it was just kind of amazing that he said this to reveal just how little he actually knows. Keep in mind right now, he's been pushing for these tax cuts, these massive tax cuts for the rich, and he says for everyone else as well. Well, anyway, here, here's what uh, here's what he, he said to Sean Hannity on this. The country, we took it over at $20 trillion. As you know, the last eight years, they borrowed more than it did in the whole history of our country. So they borrowed more than $10 trillion, right? And yet we picked up 5.2 trillion just in the stock market, possibly picked up the whole thing in terms of the first nine months in terms of value. So you could say in one sense, we're really uh, increasing values and maybe in a sense we're reducing debt, but we're very honored by it. And we're very, very happy with what's happening on Wall Street. No, no, in no senses are we reducing debt. Remember the old Geico commercial? That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. It is not how this works. No, it is not. You don't, because the stock market uh, grows, you don't wipe out the national debt. 
Now, this comes, you know, him claiming that, okay, so the stock market picks up five point true trillion in the stock market. And he compares that to uh, having borrowed, what was it, uh, well over 20 trillion, although then he said 10 trillion uh, in the previous administration. Because the stock market actually increases, that does not wipe out the federal debt. I'm not an economist. I don't know what I'm talking about. But I do know that increases in the stock market do not wipe out, do not have anything to do with either the federal deficit or the federal debt. The president does not seem to know that, even as he's calling for these massive tax cuts, which, by the way, have been stalled this week. They were supposed to have been introduced already by the Republicans, but they have been stalled because, as it turns out, after they do these tax cuts, there's a five and a half trillion dollar shortfall in the econ- in the uh, in in the in the federal budget and they're trying to figure out how to pay for those tax cuts or maybe they won't maybe they'll just introduce them and say yeah well we got a 5.5 trillion dollar shortfall but don't worry people will apparently spend so much in the stock market that somehow that will make up for it? Well, that's the idea. That's the idea that Republicans have presented ever since before Reagan. It's the concept that, oh, you will cut taxes and people will magically uh, increase their economic activity, which will magically somehow increase incomes, which will then somehow add to tax revenue for the federal government. But the problem, as you've noted, is every single time they do this from Reagan forward, they cut the taxes, they explode the deficit, And then they say, oh, wow, we don't have enough money to pay for government operations. We're going to have to cut government. So, yeah, it it, it has never worked. It never works. It has never They're about to pretend that it does work. Right. And uh, the president is in no position to tell them otherwise because he doesn't seem to understand this at all. Uh, And that's not the only thing that he does not understand. He tweeted today. Wouldn't it be great to repeal the very unfair and unpopular individual mandate in Obamacare and use those savings for further tax cuts? Okay, well, um, A, it's not unfair. Uh, It may be unpopular, but it's not unfair because it just requires everyone in in the country to have health insurance. So I'm not sure what is so unfair about it, this mandate. But repealing that mandate, which, you know, if you don't have health care, then you'll have you have to pay a certain penalty uh, to the IRS under this mandate. Um, Repealing that mandate so that people don't have to buy insurance, or at least they won't be uh, pay any penalty if they don't, does not add to savings for tax cuts. It has nothing to do. As a matter of fact, it would increase. Uh, Molly Knight uh, had had, uh, tried to tweet in response to this dumb tweet uh, saying repealing the mandate would drive insurance premiums up for everyone because fewer people would be buying into health insurance, fewer healthy people. Um, She said, you have no idea how any of this works. She says, and use what savings? The money people don't spend to get health insurance? How is it possible that you have no idea how any of this works? And she's right. He doesn't. He has no idea how any of this works. Meanwhile, former President Barack Obama, he knows how this works. And he's still encouraging people to enroll in an insurance plan under Obamacare 
despite efforts by Donald Trump to dismantle the law and to destabilize the insurance markets for everyone. Yes, the open enrollment period for the Affordable Care Act begins on November 1. It will only run for six weeks because Trump has cut it in half. It used to be three months. Now it's only six weeks, so don't wait to sign up. Obama recorded a video He's not he's not the president anymore, but he does sound like it. He uh, recorded a video for Get America Covered, which is a new organization formed by Obama era health officials to publicize Obamacare sign up information during this open enrollment period since Donald Trump has stopped publicizing it at all. Not only stopped publicizing it, but he's making stuff up, lying about it. Here is uh, former President Barack Obama talking about signing up uh, for Obamacare under the Affordable Care Act today. Hi, everybody. It's November 1st, which means today is the first day to get covered for 2018. Healthcare.gov is open for business right now. You can shop for a health insurance plan that's right for you and your family. It only takes a few minutes, and the vast majority of people qualify for financial assistance. In fact, eight in 10 people this year can find plans for $75 a month or less. That's cheaper than a lot of cell phone plans. And thanks to the Affordable Care Act, insurance companies can no longer charge you more just for being a woman or for having a pre-existing condition. That's a good thing. It means they have to compete for your business. And with just a few clicks, you can easily compare health insurance plans to find the one that fits what you need. If you don't have insurance, visit healthcare.gov. You've got until December 15th to sign up. If you've already signed up last year, shop around on healthcare.gov anyway. You could save money. And spread the word to make sure everybody knows that it's time to get covered at healthcare.gov. Because this country works best when we look out for one another. Well, that's what we're trying to do here. Uh, look out for one another. That was President Barack Obama, former President Barack Obama, uh, reminding all of us that November 1, the open enrollment period starts at healthcare.gov. Uh, so you may not have heard much about it. Hopefully you've now heard about it. Uh, the Trump administration has cut that enrollment period in half from three months to six uh, to six weeks. So you need to go uh, check it out if you want to get health coverage or a new policy and federal subsidies to go with it. But you got to do that before December 15. Spread the word. And don't wait until the last minute, by the way, because the administration and uh, Trump administration has announced they'll be closing it on Sunday nights every week for maintenance during this enrollment period. Uh, so uh, I don't know why. Well, I know why. But Trump uh, hopes you don't hear about it, even though it's only going to hurt his own voters the most. Kind of insane. But now, you know. All right. Got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Ian Milheiser of Think Progress, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is, as ever, greatly appreciated and an honor to be with you on these public airwaves. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Find us and follow us and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. Thank you. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.